0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and I would like to begin by acknowledging that we are fortunate to be able to gather on the unceded territory of the coastal Salish people. Today, I will be continuing to talk about California's water issues, discussing how the state can secure its water future. Last week, I gave an overview of the problems the state has and is facing and some of the economic impacts of water scarcity that they have experienced. So for background to this episode, be sure to go listen to that to understand the urgency of this environmental and human issue. So last week, I mostly talked about the state's water supply up to 2016 during its most recent drought years. What I didn't cover is what happened to the water supply after that year. And I just want to point out a few things here. In 2017, California experienced above average levels of rainfall, almost breaking records, that filled reservoirs, stress dams and other infrastructure, caused landslides and allowed increased growth of new bushes and small trees, adding fuel to the land, encouraging wildfires. So not only does drought and water scarcity impact an economy in ways discussed last week, it presents a wealth of new risks when the rain finally does begin to fall again. In 2014, the California Natural Resources Agency, the California Environmental Protection Agency, and the California Department for Food and Agriculture developed the California Water Action Plan, or WAP. The plan has three main objectives, one, more reliable water supplies, two, the restoration of important species and habitat, and three, a more resilient, sustainably managed water resource system that can better withstand inevitable and unforeseen pressures in the coming decades. I will post the original plan on cavegoblins.com for a more detailed read, as there are 10 actions on this plan and today I will be covering just one of them in more detail. That is Action 3 of the Water Action Plan, to achieve the co-equal goals for the Delta. The Delta supplies water to two-thirds of the state's population, as well as irrigation for millions of acres of farmland. Currently, the Delta system relies on water flowing through fragile levees that were not designed to withstand a significant seismic event, major floods, and rising sea levels, all of which are a true risk to the system. A foundational component of addressing this risk and upgrading the network is the California Water Fix, something that has been in the works for 11 years. Very convenient for me in this podcast, the Brattle Group, an independent consulting agency, completed a comprehensive cost-benefit analysis of this project for the Department of Water Resources on September 20 this year. So everything in this report is current and up to date, and I was pretty happy to come across it. So first up, what is this project all about? The project will build two tunnels to convey water from three new intakes on the Sacramento River between Clarksburg and Cortland to Clifton Court in the south. These new intake facilities will be farther away from endangered habitats and help restore fish stocks in the area. Water from the intakes will be filtered and diverted into the new tunnels which will be used to move water throughout the region built such that gravity will guide the water through the tunnels away from the current fragile delta network. They will be about 150 feet underground to be protected from the previously mentioned sea level rise, earthquake, floods, etc. Water will then be lifted via a pumping plant into Clifton Court 4 Bay, sort in reservoirs as required, and pumped to the south to meet water demand. The project should ensure protection of the state's water supply, improve river flows that have been reversed by past man-made diversions and pumpings, and restore and protect ecosystems on the Delta. I'm not an engineer, so I have no expertise in this area, but it does look like, according to this report, that the benefits of the project have been found to far outweigh the costs. The total design and construction costs of the project are forecast to be 16.73 billion US dollars, a very small fraction of the gross state product of California. The construction period is assumed to be 2018 to 2033, with operations of the water fix to begin in 2034. So we're looking at 15 years of construction, including 11 years for drilling the tunnels alone. This is a massive infrastructure challenge. Under a baseline scenario, it is estimated that average annual yields of water will rise by over 316,000 acre-feet in the Central Valley, one of the most at-risk farmland areas, and also by over 680,000 acre-feet for the State Water Project. So if you remember from last week, this is roughly an additional 500,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools of water delivered on average every year from the beginning of operations, provided that the Central Valley Project is involved with the California Water Fix. So for this project specifically, what will be the urban water supply benefits and costs? Straight up, these are estimated by Brattle to be $13.275 billion US billion and 10 4 billion US dollars respectively, with a ratio of 1.31, meaning the benefits here far outweigh the costs. To get this figure, Brattle first identified patterns of urban water shortages under the proposed project relative to those in the baseline, where it doesn't exist. All water sources were considered under this approach, not just the supply coming from the Delta. Urban water demand in the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California is expected to rise from 3.3 million acre-feet today to about 3.7 million acre-feet in 2050. So an 8% increase in aggregate demand, noting that per capita demand will actually fall at the same time, attributing to the rise in demand being less than a rise in population, as people learn how to use less water in the home. In this scenario, consumers are faced with a given set of water rates and are generally free to purchase the desired quantities of water. By then measuring the consumer's willingness to pay to avoid water shortages, that is to avoid the losses associated with a water shortage, we can estimate the benefits of the increased water supply delivered by this project. As would be expected, as the extent of the water shortage worsens, the willingness to pay becomes higher to avoid any losses as people prioritize their water usage within their home. It was mentioned earlier that average annual water yields would increase Urban yield specifically would rise by about 444,000 acre feet. Considering the cost of doing this, this puts the value of increasing the urban water supply via this project at $686 per acre foot of water. Compare that to alternative desalination plants, for example, which cost about $2,000 to $4,000 per acre foot. The costs associated with water fix are significantly lower. Even recycling water, which does have varying costs, is anywhere from $1,500 to $2,500 per acre foot. So urban consumers do seem to win under this project. So what about agriculture? Benefits to this consumer come from increased and protected water supplies from the delta, drought resiliency, reductions in groundwater pumping costs, and increases in net returns from crop production. The model used by consultants to measure the costs and benefits simulates the profit-maximizing decisions of agriculture producers in California, subject to physical and market constraints, while accounting for varying water supplies available to the state. Some limitations or things to consider here are how crop prices were forecast. They were done on an assumption that crop prices over the past 10 years will continue into the future, This is consistent with USDA projections, which show moderate growth to 2025, but is arguably conservative over the longer time frame, as climate change will cause major changes to agricultural production worldwide. This, I feel, is something that is harder to forecast in this scenario, given that it is expected that existing economic models that are academically accepted are used, so it would be hard to do it in the case of this report. That's what you would think anyway, and I'll get to that a bit later. On the whole, though, it is anticipated that crop yields will fall as the impacts of climate change intensify, putting upward pressure on prices. So just keep that in mind with the analysis, specifically when it comes to the costs and benefits here. There is a lot more detail on the modelling process in this report, which I will link on the website because I'm not going to get further into it here. Overall, and as with urban consumers, the benefits of the water fix, according to Brattle, outweigh the costs with a ratio of 1.2. The benefits to agriculture are over $2.4 billion, and the costs are just over $2 billion. In the Central Valley alone, which I again emphasize is high-risk agricultural land, the benefits are just over $3.3 billion, while the costs are only $2.7 billion. So it seems the data speaks for itself here. Considering the cost-benefit analysis, improvements to water quality, increased water supply security, and its resilience to population growth and rising sea levels, among the jobs that will be created and tax revenue generated to complete this project, the California Water Fix appears to be a sound infrastructure solution explored by the state government. That is not to say that this project is not facing some harsh criticism. Dr. Jeffrey Michael, the Executive Director of the Center for Business and Policy Research at the University of the Pacific, has highlighted major flaws in Brattle Group's analysis. Number one, it assumes a massive new subsidy for agricultural user costs share from urban water users. The agriculture subsidy is contained within a wheeling rate that it assumes that the Metropolitan Water District would charge the Central Valley Project for using the tunnel's conveyance capacity. Now, there is no guarantee that the Central Valley Project will actually participate. It's expected that they will, but whether or not they do and how much they pay is definitely questionable number two the positive benefit cost ratio depends on a huge new benefit the value of sea level rise protection benefits this report estimates that the present value of these sea level rise benefits are 5.7 billion dollars a value that exceeds the study's estimated total net benefit of the water fix that means the benefit cost ratio is negative for all user categories If this new benefit is removed, this estimated benefit has never been included in any previous study of water figs, and thus it is a new benefit category created for this report when the old methodology fell short of giving a positive benefit-cost ratio as the government wanted. Number three, the report, press release, and webpage falsely claim that this benefit-cost analysis is consistent with the Economic Analysis Guidebook. This guidebook clearly states that although economic analyses can be evaluated from many different perspectives, individuals, communities, etc., DWR, the people who write the economic analysis guidebook, conducts these analyses from a statewide perspective. The Brattle Report is clear, even in its title, that it is an analysis from the perspective of water agencies that participate in Water Fix. It does not consider statewide impacts which include costs to other water users or the environment, both of which are very large for this project. Another project opponent, Barbara Barragan-Perilla, who is the Executive Director of Restore the Delta, also criticises the paper noting three initial problems before conducting any further analysis. Number one, the Brattle Group claims the project will see increased benefits with the pursuit of low-interest federal WIFIA loans, As they said earlier in a statement this week, the WIFIA letter of interest submitted by the Design Construction Finance Authority is fraught with misstatements and inaccuracies. So that's a financial risk. How is that actually going to be paid for? The analysis, number two, argues that the project implements components of the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, which significantly increases the value of water fix to agricultural water users. Moreover, the analysis claims that the tunnels project is complementary to the state's goal of ensuring the sustainability of groundwater reserves. However, tunnels proponents fail to do adequate groundwater analysis on communities in and around the Delta, as well as Northern California at large, whom will be subjected to degraded groundwater supplies with operation of the Delta tunnels. And number three. The Brattle paper insists that transfer of water fixed project benefits significantly increases the overall values of the project by reallocating capacity to users with the greatest willingness to pay for water supply reliability. So that statement alone is pretty much just saying the highest amount of benefits will be felt by the people who can pay the most for the water, which presents problems for equality. The Restore the Delta group are concerned that the report does not address whether the delta tunnels will benefit California as a whole, and not just the water contractors. They also express alarming concern that this project does not consider the residents of the delta as a whole. They have prepared a lengthy report to give what are referred to as environmental justice communities the tools to deal with the threats this project has on themselves and their livelihoods. I have linked the report on cavegoblins.com for you to read. In the report three broad areas of the tunnels impacts on the delta are recorded. First, how the project is essentially illegal for failing to reduce reliance of other regions on the delta for their future water needs. Second, the project has direct impacts to flows and water quality in the delta. And third, it will impact human uses of water for farms, subsistence fishing, urban drinking water supplies, and urban water rates, each of which will place disproportionate undue burdens on Delta environmental justice communities. There is so, so much in this report that explores indigenous communities, large corporate ownership, taking advantage of the uneducated and the poor, and more, so do check out that report. From a purely monetary perspective, because as I always unfortunately find, so many things just come down to money, and there are many issues that are a lot harder to measure when it comes to money. The benefits calculated for the project by Brattle must be questioned due to the methodology used. I may explore these socio-economic hyperlocal issues in a future episode, but it will take some time to get through all of the information, so I don't just want to look at one side. Moving on now, desalination plants are another noteworthy solution to water supply. As you can tell, I am from Australia and have consumed a lot of desalinated water in my life, as we too are very dry and have faced many severe droughts. While desalination is more expensive per acre foot, the state government in California has still allocated $34.4 million in grants to eight different projects. Think of this move as diversification. California does not want to put all its eggs in one basket and become dependent on only the Waterfix project, especially when it is facing such strong opposition by people who live directly on the delta. The plants being funded are also known as brackish desalination plants, which filter river, bay, and underground water for drinking. This is less expensive to do so than filtering ocean water, mostly because the water is less salty, making it about one to $2,000 per acre foot to treat. Now, whether you agree with the water fix solution or not, there is also no denying that infrastructure upgrades are necessary to maintain an economy's power and functionality. Take the Roman Empire, for example, that crumbled largely in part because they did not upgrade their infrastructure. There is a wealth of information about the funding of this project out there as well, so if you're more interested in the finance side of things, have a look online, because I probably won't be going into that either. Economics and finance do not always have to go together and I am a bit more interested in the resource water itself and how we can capture and allocate it rather than how we pay for it. I mean, obviously, California and America as a whole have enough money to do basically anything they need to. So thank you so much for listening. I know I have unloaded a lot of information in this episode, which I hope you have enjoyed. Next week, I'll be talking about water more broadly. When it truly comes down to it, this whole situation could have been avoided if water was just priced appropriately. But the question is, how does a government price a resource that is a human right essential to life? Listen in next week as I explore this question. And if you have any thoughts about this topic, please do let me know. You can find me on Twitter at everyeconomics, or send an email to economicspodcasts at gmail.com. Over on the other side of the Goblin Cave, We have Doug Vanderlay, as always, putting out interesting and funny material each week as he talks to all and any comedian about comedy and their comedic influences. So do set the show to auto-download, rate and review, interact with us. If you're a creator and plan on attending the Van Podfest, I plan to as well, so maybe we can meet, talk shop, plan some collabs. That's what I'm hoping for anyway. Thanks again, everyone. Listen in next week. Be kind to each other. I'm Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics.